all month, we are talking about what does it mean to be a disciple maker? What is it to be a disciple? And uh, last week, we started with a really simple definition um, for us to bounce off of for the month, and not just for the month, but for quite a while for us as we talk about this, as we lead toward this as a congregation. And so the definition, uh, I made it one sentence there. You could give paragraphs on what is a disciple, but I want to be sent something we could transfer that we could talk about. And a disciple is this. A disciple is someone who is learning to become more like Jesus. A disciple is someone who is learning to become more like Jesus. Now, I want to prove to you this morning that you know how to make a disciple. You have all the gifts, you have all the power, you have all uh, the instructions that you need from Scripture, but I want you to know that you have the ability and the knowledge to how to make a disciple. And I want to do it this way. How many of you have ever taught someone to play a sport? Ever taught someone to play a sport? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your, taught, taught somebody, taught somebody how to ride a bike. You can raise the other hand. Taught somebody how to write. Anybody taught somebody, teach somebody how to write? All right, we're pretty much knocking everybody out. Here's what I know. Because you have taught someone how to do something, you know how to make a disciple. It may be a disciple of bike riding. It may be a disciple of riding. It may be a disciple of how to ride their bike. But here's how you make a disciple. You teach them. Someone who's willing to learn to become more like, in your instance, more of a ball player, more of a bike rider, more of a rider than they were before. Uh, I've, I've got four kids at some point. I remember teaching my oldest three um, how to play basketball. They played upper basketball here uh, for a while. And um, here's how I did not teach them how to play basketball. I didn't grab my sons at, you know, four and five years old and say, hey, William, hey, J-Man, here's the deal. Um, this is called a basketball, all right? Um, these are shoes that you put on when you play basketball. They'll make you jump higher, okay? Wear those. And uh, if you'll go out into the driveway, there's this goal thing. If you'll just go out there and figure out how the game works, you'll be great ball players. That's insane, isn't it? You wouldn't do that to a five-year-old. You wouldn't even do that to a seven-year-old. Maybe a seven-year-old, you could say, hey, I'll tell you what, here is a list. You can read now. Here's 10 ways to become a better basketball player. Take that and go out in the driveway, and you'll have it all figured out. And they'll go out in the driveway, and they'll read it, and they may figure out that you can't double dribble. It's kind of hard to tell somebody, isn't it? They may figure out that you can't travel. Well, that, that's kind of hard to explain. And so instead, what happens when you teach somebody how to play basketball, you, you go out in the driveway, you go into the gym, you pick up a basketball, and you begin to teach them that you can bounce with one hand. Okay, you can't carry it, all right? Contrary to popular belief. You bounce with, bounce it with one hand, all right? You learn if you're really talented, you know, you can do it with, with both hands, all right? Still not great at that, um, never will be. And so you, you learn how to bounce the basketball. You learn what a layup is. You learn what traveling is. I mean, it's common if you've ever watched three and four-year-olds play basketball, they dribble once and run down the court, right? At some point, you can't just tell them you can't do that. You have to walk down the court and show them, not just once, not just twice, not just three times, but dozens of times to get their little brains to go, this is how you play this sport. Likewise, you grab some kid, and it's your child, it's your grandchild, it's your niece, it's your nephew, maybe it's you, you've experienced this, and you say, I want to learn how to bike, ride a bike without training wheels. You get them out in the yard, and you say, that's a bike, that's a hill, see you later. No. 
you say, well, now, let me see you ride without, with the training wheels. Now, let, let's back up. Let, let me show you. Let me get on the bike and show you. Let me talk you through. Let me put a helmet on you. Let me show you how to bail. All right? What that means is you're going to fall. So when you go to fall, fall towards the grass, not the concrete. Okay? And you can only do that if you get outside in the yard, walk with them, grab a hold of the seat with them, walk down the yard, back up, go back, back up, go back, back up, promise them you'll never let go, and then you let go, right? And you let go, and then you run behind them for a second, and they take off, and they begin to ride a bike. Because you teach them what you know. Being a disciple is teaching someone what you know. And in the context of the Bible, Jesus says to go and make disciples. He's speaking directly on, you teach people to learn what I have taught you. Now, last Sunday we started with a passage of Scripture, and I want to pick back up there um, as a review, and then we're going to share a little bit about what disciple-making looks like tangibly in front of you. So it's not just something we're talking about this morning. So Matthew chapter 28, it's called uh, the Gospel of Matthew. It's one of four accounts of the life, the teachings, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew, at the end of it, the very end of it, Jesus says these words. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, speaking to the disciples and some of those that have gathered with him, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Now, let me give you a little context. You've heard this. If you've been at Rich Fork, you've heard this passage of Scripture. If you've been at Rich Fork more than two weeks, you've probably heard it twice. If you've been here a year, you've heard it a dozen times. Hang around for the rest of this year, you're going to hear it even more. Because this is an instruction from Jesus called the Great Commission, what we title it. It's an authoritative command from a leader to followers. It's not optional equipment. It's not if you would like to do these things, but let me help you grasped something that was a great kind of reality shocker for me even this week. I'm a pastor. I've preached on this numerous times. I'm not even going to preach a whole message on this this morning, but I just want you to think about this for a minute. The disciples walked with Jesus. They were called by Jesus. Jesus went to multiple men and he said, I want you to come. You follow me. He called fishermen. He called tax collectors. He called people from different walks of life. He said, you guys follow me. And for three years, they did everything with Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. They watched Jesus perform miracles. They prayed with Jesus. They saw Jesus pray with people. They saw Jesus disconnect and go pray by himself. They saw him confront the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They saw Jesus call a dead man out of the grave back to new life. They saw someone who was blind see. They saw someone who was deaf hear. They experienced this with Jesus. They walked with him. They experienced this with him. And then one evening, thinking that they are following what's going to be the transformational person who's going to take over the government of the world and be the peacemaker of the world and lead the charge, their leader sits across from them at table and essentially foretells that he's about to die. And the next day, 
in the middle of the afternoon, the man that they'd spent their entire lives with the last three years is crucified on the cross. You don't have to be a student of crucifixion of that type of death to know the end result of crucifixion is death. Scripture tells us they took Jesus from that cross, they placed Him into a tomb. And the reality is, if you were one of those men that had followed Jesus those three years, in that moment you're thinking, it's over. We had high hopes that this was the one. We had put everything in. He, he taught us. He loved us. He showed us. He gave us examples. He lived in front of us. He wept in front of us. It's gone. But three days later, there's a knock on the door. Scripture tells us of where they are in hiding. Jesus walks into the room, doesn't open the door, walks into the room, and He says, hey guys, it's me. I am alive. And if you doubt that, come examine the wounds. Come, come, come extinguish your doubts. Come check me out. I am real. I am living. I am in front of you. And can you imagine the, the feeling in the room? All of a sudden, it feels like the, the air was sucked out of it. And then Jesus walks into the room and everybody goes, there he is. Here we go, guys. Wow, if we didn't have momentum before, we really have momentum now because we now have the guy who was dead and he is alive. I don't know who you've taken instructions from. Maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a professor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a parent, but you've never had somebody who was dead, who's alive, standing in front of you and say, I've got a job for you. And if you did... I got a feeling you would do just like the disciples that were standing with him in Matthew 28. You would do exactly what he asked you to do, wouldn't you? Because you'd go, I, he, here, sure, whatever. Whatever you call me to do, I'm going to go. Because you, we saw it. We experienced it. He, and he came before hundreds of people to give validity to this moment. And he says, now go therefore and make disciples. Go and teach. He goes on to say to baptize them, but go also to teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you, that I've lived for you, that I've walked with you, that I've taught you, that I've exemplified before you. Go teach other people people. And scripture and outside historical references tell us that that's exactly what this group did. And here's how we know that they did. Because you're here. Because their faithfulness led to the faithfulness of others, to the faithfulness of others, to faithfulness to the nations, faithfulness, and it continued to reach and grow. And you're here. Because a group of 11 people and some other followers heard a dead man walking say, I've got a specific job for you. Here are the instructions. These are not optional equipment for you. He says, go. And I love what he says at the end of that Great Commission. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Have you considered that? That when Jesus, as we talked last week about making disciples, about what it means to have habits that reflect the gospel, that reflect who Jesus is, have you thought about lately that a dead man walking, the Holy Spirit living inside of you says, and I am with you every step of the way. To make disciples. That make disciples. That make disciples. So this morning, I want to ask Matt Bryant, one of our pastors here, and a couple of awesome ladies here from our congregation to come up. And they're going to share with you just some practical, hey, this is, a, this is discipleship. This is disciple making disciple making disciple taking place. And we want to share this with you so you can hear and see that this is not just us saying make disciples. This is us saying we, we get to experience this. So I hope you get done this morning and are as excited about what they're going to share with you as, as I have been and have been through these last couple of services. So this morning, first off, this is going to be awesome, okay? Because you hear us talk all the time about the need for us to go and make disciples, to bring other people into this room to worship God, fall in love with Him, and pursue Him for the rest of his lives. And this morning, you've got a chance to hear two sides of the same story of how God moved. And I know some of you are sitting here right now, and this is a little bit outside the normal church dynamic, but, but I know there's somebody in here who's thinking that this is just all coincidence, but it's on purpose. God has you here for a reason this morning. This is Nicolette, and this is Tabitha. And they have a hype, squ- hype squad. There we go, right out there. And so as you hear this story this morning, we're, we're hoping that the Holy Spirit moves in you. And that's what the staff, and we've been praying for a while now, is the Holy Spirit moves in us in a way that we can be obedient to God by knowing Him. So we're going to get started because there's this major moment in this story right around June 2017. Before we get there, Nicolette, I, w- I want you to share with everybody in here who you were, what your life was, what your life was about prior to June of 2017. Yes. Um, So prior to June of 2017, I was just a gal. (laughs) Um, I was a college student. I was at High Point University, um, and I'm originally from upstate New York, so I was a little far from home. Um, And I was just going through the motions of what the world told me I had to do. Um, I graduated from high school, I went to college, and now I was just doing what the world expected me to do. And looking back on it now, I was so naive to my brokenness and to the hurt that I had. Um, I was the girl that wanted to be a strong, independent woman, and nobody was going to stop me, and I had a plan, and I was going to make it happen, and I didn't need anybody's help. Um, And relationship-wise, super toxic. I was using Tinder, um, just giving myself to guys that didn't deserve any of me, um, because that's where I found my worth and value. I didn't have any at all. Um, So then it came time to look at the year ahead, and I wanted to graduate early, and I wanted to move to Southern California because that place was going to make me happy. Um, Because again, I was finding my purpose and my identity in other people and other things and people's opinions in the world and what they told me. And 
So I said, okay, so that means to get my degree early, I got to get a four-credit internship under my belt. So that summer, that's what I started looking for, um, and that's actually how I met Tabitha. Tabitha was my internship supervisor. Um, so, so yeah, that's how the relationship started. Awesome. So we've, we've got this, this life you're living, and then we have this interview that happens because Tabitha became your internship supervisor. And so Tabitha... I'm going to let you talk a little bit about this interview and what was going on in your mind. I have the privilege. Do I? There it is. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, I have the privilege of working for a Christian organization, and so part of what my job within marketing is to help share the gospel and what God is doing um, in and through this ministry. And so when Nicolette came in to intern, we were talking about the different roles and the opportunities. And based upon how she was talking, it kind of sent up little flags for me of, I wonder if she knows the Lord. Because if you think about this, of how God works and orchestrates things, a Christian organization whose entire objective is to share the gospel and somebody who doesn't even know the gospel is wanting to intern. I find that pretty remarkable. Like, I find that to be a God thing all the way. Um, But I didn't. In that moment, in that moment, I asked her a question, and I said, so can you just tell me what your relationship with God looks like? And she answered, I don't have one. And I got deer in the headlight look, um, because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I now have somebody who doesn't know the Lord, and I'm terrified because I don't want to do anything that's going to push her away, that's going to scare her, freak her out, or do any of the above. And so I had to go back and process this and process it with my husband and all of his wisdom. He just looked at me and he said, is the internship more about y'all or more about her? And that really is what opened up my eyes to there's something that God probably wants to do in this. And so with that, um, we get about two weeks in, two weeks into the internship And um, to give a little bit of backstory, um, I had been growing with the Lord because I had reached a point where I realized that I'd been in church a good chunk of my life, but I did not have real intimacy with Jesus. The thing that makes you get up every morning because you are craving to know him and craving more of him. I didn't have that. I loved him. I wanted to do everything I could to please him, but I didn't have that true intimacy. And I'd been spending the last prior to this time, about eight months growing in that intimacy with him, learning how he longs for me and loves me, and also learning the degree of my own sin. And so realizing that I had my own barriers and struggles. And so I felt this heavy burden to be obedient to him, and he pressed in on me, and he said, I need you to ask her to go to church. That scared me, because what if she says no? What if she doesn't like it? What if it's a terrible experience? I mean, all the things that run through your head. And he just kept coming back. You need to ask her. You need to ask her. And so I did. I asked. I think I asked a little timidly of, do do, do you maybe you want to go to church? Do you want to go to church? Let's go to church. Do you want to go to church? That's really kind of how it came across because I was so nervous with it. Um, But she said yes. And that's where I'll turn it over. So I said yes to going to church, Um, and to be completely transparent, I was so skeptical. Um, Any interaction that I had had with church before, it was was just this stereotypical, people are going to be there, they're going to be fake nice to me, there's going to be a positive message, and people are going to pray, and that's going to be it. Um, But God wrecked my plans, Um, and I sat right over there, and he 
just showed himself to me. And there are no words to describe the feeling of knowing that the God of the universe can pick you out of a crowd of this many people in one seat and say, I see you. I see you for all that you are and all that you've done. And I've brought you here for a reason. And I, and I stood next to Tabitha in that service while she worshiped and I looked at her in awe of what she had, and I didn't know what it was, but I wanted it. And I didn't know how I was going to get it, but I wanted it. Awesome. Awesome, right? So June 2017, there's this profession of faith. But before we move forward, I want to point something out real quick. Did you hear how much Tabitha was wigging out? Like, like when Tabitha was going through this, this internal struggle of how does she handle this and how does she do that, that's what we do all the time. But you want to know when we normally do that? When the pastor's up here telling us to go make disciples. When we're reading in Scripture about our commission to go into the world and proclaim the glory of God so that people can know Him, we normally start out in our minds with the excuses of what if they ask this question and I don't know the answer to this and I don't know how to handle this. We threw out there all these hypotheticals that haven't happened yet. But Tabitha was all in that. Tabitha was having to sort through that in that moment, and the catalyst in that was her relationship with God, her having a real relationship with God that pushed her through, directed her, and led her to pour into the life of Nicolette so that she could experience this relationship with God. But we're not done yet. Because we have a moment where someone's just made a profession of faith that she wants to know who this God is and trust him and know who this Jesus is. And a lot of times we think, okay, we did our job. But that's just the start of discipleship. Because after you made this profession of faith, you didn't get to stay in the service and sit right over there. Okay, you didn't just get to get get baptized and hang out in the church for the rest of your life. You had to go back to school. And so why don't you tell us how it went when you went back to school as a new believer? So to give a little background, I went back to my internship that Monday, and it was different. Like, I had just professed my faith in Jesus, and Tabitha followed with asking me if I wanted to step into Cultivating Holy Beauty, which was a discipleship course where you learn how to have a relationship with the Lord. And I had no idea what I was saying yes to, but I said yes. And like, literally guys, I had just said, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't know anything about him. I don't know his character. I don't know anything, but I'm going to learn how to have a relationship with him. Um, So the rest of my internship, the rest of the summer, we dove into that study and I was growing and I was being equipped and I was learning and I was having all these awesome experiences and it was great. And then August came around, and I was like, well, now i got to go back to school. And I'm moving into an apartment with four of my best friends. Some of them are sitting over there right now. Um, I love them, but they were the friends that I did all the worldly things with. I went out with them on the weekends. I drank with them. I I did all the things with them. And so how was I going to come back and step into all that temptation and survive it? And it was so hard. And I fell hard a lot. Um, There were times where I messed up and I heard the lie of like, see, you're not worth it. 
this is why you can't do it and you don't deserve it. And why even try? Because you're just going to do this again and again and again. But what I learned, what I had been taught was to run to Jesus. And I had a community of people who were loving me well and pointing me to Jesus. That's all Tabitha did. That's all she could do was point me back to Jesus and remind me what I learned. Awesome. So we understand there's this moment after the profession of faith where she goes back to school and kind of backslides some, falls back into some other stuff. And if you're somebody who is poured into somebody else to try and help them grow in Christ, you know what it feels like when your person, this person you love and you're pouring into, all of a sudden you're seeing these actions and you kind of hit this like discipleship freak out. Like you kind of wig out, right? So Tabitha, how are you when she goes back to school and all of a sudden you're having grown up in church eyes or trying to figure out what's going on? You can tell I had a lot of wig out moments, as Matt put it. Um, and so it was a lot of learning. And, and I think that, that actually is, is such a good point of this discipleship relationship was not because I knew how to do it at all. My husband and I had the privilege of working on staff at the church, of of pouring into people, and I had been hurt in a lot of those discipleship relationships. I had been blamed for their problems. It was always my fault. And so I had reached a point where I'm like, I'm done. I'm done trying. What's the point? Because all that's going to happen is they're just going to go right back to their stuff. And what's amazing is, looking back on it now, what I realized is that I was trying to disciple in my own strength. I was trying to do it where it was about me, of what I can offer, what I can do, what I can pour in. And for the first time in my life, because of the way that the Lord had been teaching me through his word, because pointing back to Jesus is just pointing back to the word of God. That's what it comes down to. The word of God is what changes. The Holy Spirit is who does the work. It has nothing to do with us. And in that, what was amazing is as she went back, and I remember the first time that she texted me with, with what had happened, I remember thinking, oh my goodness, here we go again. I am totally failing as, as a disciple maker, as somebody who's trying to pour into it. I've, I've got nothing. What, what am I even doing? And immediately, though, because of the fact that I was learning how to spend time in the Word and learning how to seek after Jesus, immediately I felt like the Holy Spirit reminded me of, it's not about you. It's about what the Holy Spirit can do in her you just have to keep pointing her back to Jesus. Just keep doing it. It has nothing to do with you. All your job is to do is to love her well. That's it. Love her well, point her back to Jesus. And that is completely foreign to what I knew before. And every Bible study I'd been in, it's about what the leader could bring to, to the table. This had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with what the Holy Spirit was capable of doing in her. And, and through that, and what I learned was... He's a way better teacher than I am, way better. And he is way better at, at changing the circumstances and what's taking place than I could ever be. Matt had said it in another service. We easily go back into behavior modification mode, and we think that in order to make a disciple, you need to change the behavior. But the behavior is not going to change unless the heart's changed. We can't change a heart. That's what Jesus does. And that's what I had to let him do, and I had to choose to get out of the way and not condemn, not to judge. But here's the other reason that, that I felt like for the first time in my life, I could actually do that. For the first time in my life, I realized the degree of my own sin. It's really hard to love people and to not judge if you don't think that you have any sin. 
and that you do it all right and you got it all figured out. But when we start realizing how much sin we have and how much we need Jesus and how much I need Jesus's love every moment of every day, only then was I able to pour into her what he was pouring into me. And as a result of that, and she could probably speak more to it, she watched me fail. Like, I want y'all to just have a little moment. Somebody that you're trying to pour into is watching you fail and mess up and make mistakes. That does not make you feel like a successful disciple maker. That makes you feel like you failed. But similar to her, what she realized is that we as Christians don't have it all figured out. We're flawed. We've got issues and we've got problems. And she taught me that. So this discipleship relationship became iron sharpening iron, which was exactly what God intended those relationships to be. Yes, and here clearly, okay, because there's a lot of times you'll go into church and somebody will come up here and give a testimony, and then mentally we, like, put that person on a pedestal. We put their story on a pedestal, and all of a sudden we think, oh, well, you know, the staff put them up on stage, so they must be, like, the top of the iceberg now. Nobody up here is perfect. Myself, Michael, everybody included, we are all just trying to submit to God and seek Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's the catalyst in this this morning. Before we kind of wrap up, let's move a little bit more forward in the story one last time. Tell me the effect that you're professing Jesus as your Savior, that you're continuing in this disciple relationship, learning more about Him, learning how to spend time with Him, learning how to grow in your relationship with Him. What effect did that have on the people around you? Yeah, so like I said, going back to school was hard. There was a lot of temptation. And when I say it was hard and I say I slipped up, like I didn't like cheat on a test or like speed on the road. Like I drank to the extent of like I blacked out and woke up and didn't know what happened the night before. And I was broken and hurt. And, and again, the lies flood in of like, you're not worth it. You're doing it again. And I just kept running back to him relentlessly again and again because that's what I knew how to do. That's what I had been taught how to do. And so in the midst of all that, I thought that everybody around me, all my peers, my friends, they were just seeing me fail. They were just seeing the fall. But what they were seeing was all of it. They saw all the junk and they saw me running back to Jesus every time. So now Tabitha and I can stand up here and tell you, our story, but we have the privilege of walking alongside other women and helping them find intimacy with Jesus. And those women are helping other women find intimacy with Jesus. That's four generations of discipleship in a year and a half. Can I say one more thing? sorry. And that's not because of us. It's because of God, not because of us. It's because we get out of the way and we point people back to Jesus. Awesome. So you've heard this story, the story of what happens when one person recklessly seeks God and knowing him personally, not knowing about him, not just acting like a Christian in public but personally and intimately seeking Him. Do you guys have, to have anything else you want to let talk to people about before we go? There's something that God has reminded me of because we live in a culture of instant gratification. We live in a culture that looks for a quick fix 
You want to lose weight, do a quick diet, drop it quick. But the question really comes down to is, are you looking for a quick fix or are you looking for a permanent solution? Because the permanent solution is always Jesus. The permanent solution is always seeking him. That is the only thing that changes any part of our lives. And we can try to find things that are quick. And you might look at discipleship and you're like, oh man, like, I wish I, you know, was at this spot or I wish I was doing this. But then you're like, well, you know, I just, if I can just find something to do for six weeks, if I can just find something to do, you know, real quick and hurry up and get those results. But the truth of the matter is that it's not a quick fix. Healing our hurts, having Jesus come into those places and transforming us, that doesn't happen overnight. That happens over a course of a lifetime. So it's a choice of saying, yes, God, I don't know what you have for me. I don't know what you want from me, but I do know that you want me to seek you. I'll say yes. God, I don't know what you're wanting to do in this relationship with somebody, but if you ask me to lead and, and, and to teach and not even teach, if you just ask me to point them back to you, Jesus, I'll say yes. All God needs is our yes. All God needs is your yes. I said yes. She said yes. This row and a half right here, they said yes. And now what God is doing is beyond anything we could ever, ever have comprehended because he is being glorified in every way possible. And I look at their faces <laughs> and they're making disciples because their lives have been transformed because Jesus has become so undeniable to them that they can't desire anything else. That's when the goodness of God happens. And now to see the way that they are transforming their sorority and their communities and their friends and their boyfriends and their lives and their parents and they are making disciples who make disciples. Amen. So here's the deal. It's not complicated. Hear me say that. This whole thing basically boils down to as you as a person, are you going to seek God and learn how to have a relationship with him. In the past three years at Rich Fork, four years I think now, we've kind of stumbled upon and God has brought this, this tool, this piece of material called Every Man a Warrior. And now we have it, a women's version called Cultivating Holy Beauty. And I know some of you have heard those terms. And you might even be sitting here and going like, yeah, 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 I've heard that. That's just not my thing. But let me just really quickly tell you what this does. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's not going to give you information for a lot of you who've grown up in church you haven't heard before. But what it does is it breaks down the real, simple, biblical truths. And it just brings those biblical truths to the surface of how you have a personal and intimate relationship with God, which is the catalyst of this story. Because this story doesn't happen and these lives aren't changed and the lives they're touching aren't changed. If a few years ago Tabitha doesn't go, you know what? 
I've grown up in church, but I need to make sure I know how to have an intimate and personal relationship with God. So if that's you this morning, if you're sitting there going like, man, for the last 20 years I've sat in church service and felt like I'm supposed to be making disciples, but I'm scared. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how. Start here. There's a blue card in your seat, and you can sign up, and you can go through this. And all you're going to learn is the simple biblical principles of having an intimate relationship with God. And it's going to be life-changing, not just for you. And even if you've been here forever, you're teaching a Sunday school class, and you're on seven different committees. Just a heads up, our staff's getting ready to go through this. Because we need to make sure, we need to double-check, we need to go back over the basics of what Scripture teaches about having a relationship with God. So when the offering plates come around, you can just put your name on that card. You can put it in the offering plate. You can go out there to one of those tables if you want to actually talk to a person this morning. But our prayer this morning and for this entire year is that God brings about a revival through people seeking Him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and being reminded of these basic biblical principles and teachings of what it means to have a true, deep, and intimate relationship with God. Because people's lives are changed not by getting information, not just by hearing about, but when they themselves, you yourself, are standing before God on His throne, giving an account for your life. That's my prayer for each person in here this morning. I'm going to pray, and then our band's going to come back up and listen to me. If you have come in here and you did not have a reason to worship God this morning, you have a reason right now to worship what God has done in our midst in this day and age from people who sit right beside you on a Sunday morning.